This is Jim Pruitt, and you listen to another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. So I farm so hard, the employees want to find me, and then want to hire me. What's 100K to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never want to see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Farm so hard, let's get paid. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Farm So Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pruitt, aka FarmD and ED. And today we have another special episode, and this is going to be great for our pharmacy residents. It's going to be great for our students that's looking to pursue residency. This is going to be a podcast of the residency panel that we did on Monday, June the 28th. We missed a few people on the intro due to the recording, but we have Sarah Cummings. She went to Purdue for her Form D, then went to Thomas Jefferson for PGY1, and the lovely UC Davis for emergency medicine PGY2. Then we have Brittany Bierkit. She got her Form D from Wingate University. Then she went on to the PGY1 at Vident Health System. And then she just completed her PGY2 in emergency medicine with me at MUSC Health. We also have Tremani Brock. She did her Form D at Texas Southern University. And she's now completing the second year of the Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership Residency Program at MUSC Health. And lastly, we have Nicholas De Filippo, and he did his PharmD at UConn, and he's currently an incoming PGY1 at Yale New Haven. So that's going to be our entire group. And also we have Ryan, but he'll be able to intersect himself in here. Hello, hello, hello. Sorry, I'm a little late. My food took longer than expected. But um, yes, my name is Ryan Watts. Um, went to Hampton University, graduated in 2015, uh, began my work as a pharmacist at Walgreens Pharmacy for five years. And um, where uh, eventually I stepped away from it and um, am now pursuing a PGY1 pharmacy residency at uh, Baptist Health of uh, Homestead Hospital. So. Perfect. So we have a, a, a host of people here. So we have two people that just recently completed. We have two that's going into PGY2. We have two that's coming into PGY1. So super excited to get different perspectives. And as, as we go on, we're going to be able to talk to different people uh, and just get their experiences from that standpoint. But just want to go ahead and throw out there um, again, if you guys are on right now and you haven't subscribed to Form So Hard, please do. We're going to have a ton of information coming out that's going to help you guys on your path. And if you're going into the acute care route, please go to a Pharmacy Friday Pearls and get on the email list there because a ton of information is going to be coming out over the next few months. I have really special things that's going to be uh, happening, but let's really get into our incoming PGY1s. So I have a few questions I want you guys to expand on uh, this and you can go individually. We can go back and forth between Nick and Ryan, but I think uh, I really want to start with Nick because I, I I know Ryan's story a little bit. But Nick, can you tell us about your journey to obtaining a PGY one? What was the hard part? What was the interesting things that happened, and you know what got you to this point now? Yeah, thanks. So <clears throat> I guess I really knew that I wanted to do a PGY one pretty early on in pharmacy school, um, and I got some advice from people that I knew in uh, in the classes above me. You know, you'll figure out what you want to do later. Like you don't have to necessarily do a PGY1 and it kind of made me feel like maybe I shouldn't be doing this like am I am I too um early in thinking about this um the long story short is no it's never too early to start uh thinking about what you're interested in um I let's see the hardest part it was probably 
navigating scheduling the interviews because I, um, well, for everyone uh, else on the panel, you guys interviewed in person um, in previous years for, for residency. And it was really different this year because of COVID. And we were kind of in the dark for, I would say, most of 2020 about like, what is the process going to look like? Um, and then right at the end, where ASHB came out and said, you know, mid-year is going to be free. Um, and a lot of programs were, um, you know, announcing that their interviews will be virtual. And um, at that time, that a lot of people had started becoming more interested in pursuing a PGY-1 kind of late to the game. And I, I would say that it was a pretty flooded kind of market this year. Uh, everyone who, uh, you know, might not have been able to do residency interviews for financial reasons, they got a, a really big leg up because we really didn't spend any money on preparing for interviews this year, which hopefully stays the same this year for everyone else who would be applying this upcoming cycle. Um, I hope it doesn't change back to the way that it used to be. It was really nice interviewing virtually. Um, but uh, truly, it was just um, figuring out and like which days would be the best for different programs because they would give you a list of options and you know you want to be on your best game for the the programs that you have at the top of your perceived list um but i i don't think anything about like scheduling with your preceptor was um like difficult uh, as long as you communicate with them and if you do happen to have like an on block that month it, it shouldn't really be that hard muted but ryan go ahead and give us a little bit of your background because it's particularly interesting and i think encouraging for some people uh, yes. Uh, uh, as a, again, my name is Ryan Watts. I uh, graduated from uh, pharmacy school, like I said, in 2015. I uh, began my work at Walgreens uh, for the next five years. I worked uh, pretty much for four years as a um, just a staff pharmacist. And then my last year, I uh, accepted a position for a pharmacy manager position. Um, as far as my journey to obtaining this PGY-1 residency, it was really it really started out with with a lot of conversations with with Jimmy, um, with uh, with Julie Wilmon at Advent Health, with uh, my professor, uh, Dr. Ebony Andrews. I got to give everybody's name a shout out because it, those conversations really uh, pretty much uh, is, kind of encouraged me to really even go for a residency because my first thought was, I mean, come on, they're not going to pick a retail pharmacist who's been out for five years. I'm like, come on. And um, like I said, I never forget when Jimmy was like, dude, just just do it. All right. Come on. Like so uh, after that, I was like, OK, uh, got my CV, reconstructed everything, um, did a couple of certification courses. I ended up going to mid-year uh, and had pretty much my whole list uh, by that time as far as places that I wanted to go, um, which, of course, obviously included Florida, uh, went through the process. And, um, you know, uh, went through the application process, the interview process, all while working 84 hours as a pharmacy manager. So it was a uh, um, it, it was extremely the whole process was extremely uh, taxing uh, mentally, physically, uh, just on every level. Um, but when I got that call that, you know, that I matched and uh, checked my email, it, it was the best feeling in the world. And. Um, I'm, I'm excited to get started. So, 
That that is great. Uh, I think it's just it's so unique that we can all get here from different places. And we're, you know, in California, we're, we're coming from Milwaukee, we're coming from Yale, like all over the, the country. And I think it's very unique that we're able to have these different experiences, whether you knew you want to do residency from the first time, you know, you got to pharmacy school versus it taking, you know, five years post-pharmacy. You know, you could have completed an entire PG, you can complete an entire pharmacy school again and then figured out that you want to go. But it's still cool that we have those unique opportunities. And I think it's great. Now that you've went through this process, and Ryan, we can start with you. What advice would you give current, you know, students that are first year, second year, and third year and uh, uh, upcoming fourth year students? when it comes to their journey with residency? Um, I would say uh, don't feel bad if you don't get it the first time around. I actually applied to, I want to say 10 pharmacies while I was 10 pharmacies, 10 residencies while I was in pharmacy school. But I just, I didn't put the work in at all. I was just trying to like get through my last year and study for the NAPLEX. So my mind was just not on the preparation process and just keep gathering all the materials um, in order to make myself a more, um, I guess, you know, suitable candidate. So, of course, they all said no. Um, so I think that's the one thing. Don't feel bad if you don't get it the first time. Uh, most of you are super young. I mean, we're all young, but most of you are pretty young when you come out. So for the most part, and even the ones that do have families and have kids, I have definitely had a lot of my classmates who've had whole families to, of course, get in the first try and even try again um, a couple of more times and finally get in. So it, it's completely possible from uh, from pretty much from any any background as far as if you're you know just single with no kids or if you uh, have a family. Um, the other thing is make sure you um, get all of your registration in for your boards. Do not wait on that stuff, especially if you're moving um, states as I did. Florida is slow. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> it, it was an unbelievably like annoying process. I had to call them. But either way, um, make sure you get all of that stuff in as early as possible uh, to make sure that you can get your board scheduled. Um, obviously, a lot of the any of your jobs uh, that you go into, they're especially residencies, they're definitely going to give you a timeline as far as when they want you uh, licensed. So make sure that you get all of that stuff done as early as possible. Um, I know from retail pharmacy, why they give you a little bit longer, but they still they still kind of press you a little bit. And there is a date where they'll tell you, look, if you're not licensed by this date, we will fire you. So um, just make sure you get all of that stuff in. Um, and uh, third of all, just breathe, relax, take it a day at a time. Uh, it, it, that's pretty much uh, don't think about too much at once. I think the biggest thing is to do take one thing at a time and do even if it takes you just thinking a day ahead. Sometimes that's what it's going to take to get through the process. So. Perfect. So that's a good thing from your standpoint, uh, coming out for a while, we're going through that process. Nick, you kind of had the process set. You've been heavily involved, you know, an online, uh, knowing you want to do residency. How does your advice kind of differ from Ryan? Like what's some different things that you advise? Uh, yeah, so I, I made a list because I knew that I would forget everything that I wanted to say. <laughs> um, so at the top of the list, I have, um, especially for the students who are in their um, their appy years um, as soon as you start or even before you start appies if you haven't already keep your cv updated um, 
there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to do in your final year um, that are going to, you're going to want to put on your CV. And it's going to be really difficult to do that at the end of November, beginning of December, when you're trying to get all your applications in, um, especially because some of these programs have relatively early deadlines and you want to make sure you leave time for any of your mentors or um, your letter writers to review it, to be able to include things in their letters or, you know, give you helpful, constructive feedback. Um, the second thing would be to, uh, especially in the, the younger um, uh, students, find mentors early um, and develop those relationships with them because they will be paramount to, um, you know, your professional development, as well as they could possibly write a letter for you. They can review application materials and generally give you advice on things that you just might not be, uh, you know, too confident in or just not have the knowledge to to make a decision in whether it's, you know, should I look for out-of-state programs or this program has X, Y, or Z. I don't know if this is, uh, if this should be important to me and kind of, you know, listening to what they have to say. But on the other hand, have multiple people that you can go to for that kind of stuff because you have 10 different mentors, you will probably get 10 different answers for some of these things, especially CV formatting um, and, you know, have their kind of strategy for applying places. Um, specifically in terms of social media, um, I would say if you're not already on it, try to get on it. If that's something that you think you can fit into your schedule, don't like overwork yourself to try to maintain this online presence that is not who you actually are and could, you know, lead to the, um, uh, you know, the decreased quality of your work in school. Um, but I found it very helpful to network with people, make connections. I mean, Jimmy and I met through uh, Twitter, Sarah and I met through Twitter. Um, I've met Sarah at multiple conferences and we're really good friends now. Um, but otherwise, a lot of residency programs have uh, information or, you know, they have their residents or their program directors on Twitter that you can generally interact with and kind of start building at least, you know, a name to the face before, you know, the kind of conferences start uh, around November, December. Um, another piece of advice I have is step out of your comfort zone. This might be helpful. This might not be helpful. I personally looked for programs that were all over the country because I know that I needed that to continue developing myself professionally and personally. Um, you know, you know what's best for you. Um, but ultimately, that was kind of what felt best for me to step out of my comfort zone in that way. I don't know, again, what the the vibe is going to be this year with are they going to continue to have these open house sessions for prospective applicants on online like in September and October before mid-year um, are people mostly going to abandon mid-year probably not but um, if programs are having open houses definitely go to them personally for me um, because this year was kind of weird when I did go to mid-year I only talked to one program and that was only because they didn't have an open house otherwise I didn't see more value in attending mid-year um it this year at least because all the questions that i had for programs i was interested in were answered well back in september and october when they had these kind of open house sessions um, but if you have more questions you know they'll always say reach out come to mid-year you know whatever but it's not mandatory more on mid-year it really isn't mandatory um a lot of people stress about oh i have to go to mid-year but it can be thousands of dollars for some people to pay for um, the hotel, the flight, um, rearranging either exams or other responsibilities. If you don't have some local conference where most of your programs kind of are located, um, you know, I would say 
it is okay to go to mid-year, especially if it's going to be free again this year, I hope. Um, but it, if you only have access to these local conferences, that's also fine. Um, you also don't necessarily have to do a, a mid-year project. If you've done a presentation on at a, another national kind of conference, that counts. You don't have to recreate the wheel. Um, from what I know, programs are mostly just looking, have you done some kind of presentation at a semi-large conference? Mid-year isn't the only one. Uh, and then the last thing that I have really is just um, honestly save money uh, as early as you can, because again, we don't know what it's going to look like this year. I personally would not have been able to afford to interview at all the places that I did if it was in person. Uh, so I'm grateful that it was virtual, but I've heard people have spent two, three, four thousand dollars just in traveling and um, you know food, hotels, things like that, just to interview at five, six programs. Um, so that's kind of all that I have. Um, yeah, perfect. And just so I can just think about, everyone has their fears, everyone has their worries. If you had like this is a new terrain, so if you had one thing like a one liner of something you was nervous about as you come into residency. What would that be? And Nick, you can start us off. What's the one thing that you're probably, you know, a little concerned about? Yeah, I'll try to be brief because I realize that I'm a very long-winded person. Uh, mostly this year, I'm just worried that I'm not going to be 100% confident in what I want to do for the rest of my life, like what I want to be when I grow up. Um, I'm kind of between specialties that I'm interested in right now. Uh, previously, I was really 100% into emergency medicine. Now I'm split between emergency medicine and ambulatory care or internal medicine. And I'm sure that I'll figure it out. But there's like that lingering doubt that, well, what if I don't, and I just, you know, apply to the wrong specialty, or I don't get to pick and everything kind of falls through for me. So that's what I'm personally thinking about. Um, the whole getting licensed. I got that out of the way early. I'm at a program that I've been with for a while. I've worked there as an intern. So I'm not really worried about the transition. Mostly just Will I understand like who I want to be when I grow up? All right, Ryan. Um, I think the biggest thing as far as uh, me personally is just being out for so long, being out for five years, you know, not one, not two, not three, not four, <laughs> five years. You know, I was I was 20. Wait, how, wait, wait a minute. I'm 30 now. Yeah, I was 24, 25 coming out. Completely different person. Um, I think my biggest thing is just learning. Um, some medications that I haven't honestly seen since pharmacy school. I haven't been exposed to them. I haven't had to really dive deep into them because I deal with, you know, community, uh, you know, your regular blood pressure and cholesterol, and you might have a few uh, specialty drugs here and there, but for the most part, you know, just your top 100 drugs is what I've really been practicing with for the past five years. So um, my biggest fear going into it is really being able to, um, apply what I already know and really having to uh, get through the learning curve that I know that I'm going to have as far as really relearning some of this stuff that and refreshing myself on um, a lot of these medications and a lot of these formularies and, and guidelines. I mean, I'm just the high hypertension guidelines have changed how many X amount of times in the past five years. So um, just something that simple um, across the board. Uh, with with all of your different uh, specialties, all your different, uh, like I said, types of medications, um, just relearning all that and being able to uh, get through the rigorous schedule um, of a residency would be my biggest fear. 
So I, I won't have the entire group comment, but Sarah, if you can have like a one-liner you can give with their worries after you've went through this entire terrain, uh, do you have any comments on what the, what the worries that they have so far? Uh, even the smartest person in your pharmacy class that just graduated probably feels exactly the same and you will all have a lot to learn regardless. So just don't worry about any of that. You're, you're gonna you're gonna learn things every day, and everybody nobody's expecting you to come in knowing everything. If they did, then they wouldn't need you with their residency. <laughs> Perfect. So, guys, I'm gonna go ahead and move on to our incoming PGY2s, and just ask a few questions. So, Shmani, can you can go ahead and start us off. But what are your goals for this upcoming year? Alrighty. So, my goals. I know last year I really struggled with not knowing everything. So, kind of how Ryan kind of alluded to that. Um, you know, you graduate from pharmacy school and you get into residency. So you have this idea and you set this standard for yourself in your mind of everything you want to achieve and the things that you want to know. Um, and if I was able to go back a year ago and tap myself on the shoulder, I would say, um, really being open to learning. I think that's the biggest thing. You have to give yourself the grace to understand. Yes, I'm a resident, but no, I didn't know everything. Cause if I did, I wouldn't need to be in residency. So, um, being more open to myself, to learning, being more open to new experiences and really allowing myself to involve myself in the experience. Like um, I'm an admin resident and my first year was very heavily clinical. I only took one management rotation and then I took a med safety rotation. I've worked closely with management like outside of my PGY1 objectives, but um, allowing myself to learn what there is to learn in admin and knowing that that's still going to be an experience, even though that's why I came here. Um, giving myself the grace to understand that there's still going to be some things I don't know. There may be aspects of it that I don't understand or don't necessarily like, but that's the the point of us spending a year getting 12 different experiences to figure out what we actually want to do outside of that. So um, that's really what I'm looking forward to the most. I think um, not being on call is also something that I'm looking <laughs> forward to. The 24 hour on call shifts were amazing and I learned so much, but I'm very much prepared to be the administrator on call and kind of do some of those higher level managerial type things. So those are the things I'm most excited about. And Kaylee, so what, what about you? You have a special group of people you're going to be working with this next year. So what are your goals coming up? <laughs> yeah, um, so I'm so excited for this year and for PGY2. Um, and I think one of my main goals that kind of is a reason I knew I really wanted to do PGY2 is I feel like there are so many topics within emergency medicine that um, I got to learn a little bit about, but I'm ready to just like dive in like really deep to all like the primary literature and like how every like landmark trial, you know, like what's it based off of, like why we do everything we do so that um, I feel even more confident than I do now in both those emergent situations, as well as some of the more like AMCARE related situations within the emergency department. Um, and really just making sure that I know the specialty like inside and out um, because, you know, as a PGY1, you get all these great experiences. Um, and so when you do find something you want to do a PGY2 in, it's great. But then your month goes by and you're like, well, now I have to wait a whole nother year until I get to do that again. So I'm um, just ready to kind of dive in deep there and um, kind of same thing. I'm really interested in toxicology as well. So getting involved in maybe some of those organizations and really building a knowledge base and something that um, I really didn't have much experience in before PGY1. All righty. So if you have that part, so the, p- the people coming into PGY1, they had their concerns about this upcoming year. You guys are you know, one year ahead. So what's your biggest concerns about this upcoming year for PGY2? And Jermani, you can start us off. 
I think my biggest concern, and this has been my biggest concern since starting pharmacy school, uh, finding a job. And I know that sounds crazy, but I think when you go to pharmacy school, most of the time, traditionally, you've went all the way through grade school, you go all the way through pharmacy school, and then you get into residency, which is kind of like a continuation of school. And then you have to choose a career. And I think, you know, everything is very laid out for you, the classes you have to take in pharmacy school, the experiences you have to have, you know, when you're doing residency. When you're picking a career, no one lays out for you, this is the job you have to have. This is when you're supposed to start. This is when you have to interview. And so I think that's something, at least for me, um, I'm very worried about. I literally have already started looking at job descriptions just to ask for projects so that I can say, hey, I got this experience when I'm interviewing. Um, Watching the PGY2s this year, they were very, very great with being open with us about their job process and when they started, things they looked for, things that we should you know, consider about, how to negotiate even coming out, you know, of residency. I really appreciated them being transparent about that because those are the things that once you get into PGY2, it's kind of expected for you to get a job right afterwards. But having such a big program and having people be able to pass down those pearls are really great. Um, I think another thing I'm partially concerned about is what if I don't like administration as much as I thought I did? I know that sounds crazy because I committed to a two-year program when I came here. But um, I've signed up for as many diverse experiences as possible to be able to see administration from a 360 degree view. Um, And I'm just hoping that I'm excited, as excited about it as I thought that I would be, because again, like this will be my career. I spent my entire life to get to this point. So I would say, yeah, finding a job and really just hoping that I enjoy it as much as I think I will. Perfect. And Kay, what about you? Yeah, I definitely echo um, everything she said. That's definitely, I think, a concern for a lot of people um, getting closer to the job market now. Um, But also, I think one of my biggest concerns is kind of the start of the year. Um, I'm really excited to go to a new place and get to meet all the new people and learn um, the like workings of another emergency department. Um, But so I went from being a PGY1, obviously, to now all of a sudden I'm the PGY2 for emergency medicine. Um, But kind of like I said earlier, you know, I did my... ER rotation and I don't know, like September, maybe October, um, overlapped a little bit. And I was fortunate that I was actually able to work in our ED, um, one night a week for some time. So I still got some experience, but, you know, hoping that I, you know, I'm able to live up to the expectations of doing all of the emergency medicine related things or things in my specialty when I really, um, you know, I've only spent probably a total of a couple months in there ever before. So I think just kind of making sure that, I hit the ground running um, and that I am living up to everything from the whole interview process and, you know, the people that have come before me. Perfect. And Brittany, since you recently uh, was in that, that spot, can you, can you comment on some of these concerns that Tremonti and Kaylee had? Sure. So um, for Tremonti's concerns about the job market, I think that's very proactive of you to think about um, start looking at job descriptions. I would highly recommend that to everybody else, no matter what your specialty um, because they really lay out like what they're looking for and you can start to tailor your CV and, and your stuff to kind of reflect those keywords. Cause a lot of places use, um, like computers to search their applications and look for keywords in those. And so if you can do that early and have those job descriptions early, that really helps you and kind of take some of the stress off of the end of the year. <laughs> um, and then as for, Kaylee's concerns, I would say I had 100% the same exact concerns, and I'm sure Sarah did as well, because yeah, we don't have a ton of experience coming in. 
And then you're all of a sudden, like the people everyone in your residency class go to and say, hey, I had this emergency medicine thing come up. What do I do? Totally fine to say you have no idea what you're doing. I think people actually find that um, refreshing and uh, like respect that a lot because you're willing to say, I have no idea. But I think what's really important and what you clearly have from what you one of your answers earlier is your drive to really get to the heart of the literature, get to the heart of why we do what we do. And I think that'll serve y'all so well is like going back and even stuff that we've been doing the same for years, like TPA or um, just like some of these cardiac arrest medications, like really digging into the, the original research, you'll find some crazy, crazy things. Um, and just having that background makes you feel a lot better in like the clinical like scenario when your doc comes to you and says, Hey, I got this guy, he's in cardiac arrest. I'm going to give some bicarb. Like, what do I do? Um, or they ask for bicarb and then you're like, do I fight them or do I agree with them? Um, so yeah, so it's totally understandable that you have that concern. Totally reasonable. Um, like I said, I think I said, I don't know about a million times, um, during the first few months. And um, I think one of my favorite sayings was the further you get in training, the more you realize that you don't know. Um, And I think that's really cool in one way because it just keeps you interested. It keeps you driven to kind of find the next question and answer it and then go from there because that answer and that question will lead to more questions and more answers. Um, And it's really cool to find people who share that interest because y'all will go down some rabbit holes. I know me and Jimmy have definitely spent quite a few hours on slow days, just going deep into literature rabbit holes and discussing like the pharmacokinetics and just like the pathophysiology. So that drive is really going to serve you well. And all of you like just question everything. Perfect. So now we went to the PGY1s and and, and PGY2s. Now to our outgoing uh, PGY2s to we call them the, the real pharmacists. I, I know when I was in work, when I was in residency, I always said, you know, I'm not a real pharmacist yet. And now I'm unfortunately I have to be a real pharmacist and be professional and do all those things that uh the, the other real pharmacists are doing. So the questions that I have, I, I think most people want to know. So Sarah, you can start us off. What does the future look like post PGY2? Like professionally and personally? You're like, what does that feel like to not have an MUE? not have those things, you know, in front of you, what does that feel like? Um, I think it's going to feel great. Unfortunately, <laughs> a PGY2, so I can't, can't comment yet, but I have a pretty good idea. Um, I, I think, I think what I am looking forward to most is being able to pursue projects and other activities that I'm really passionate about and not just sort of required to do as part of the departmental, um, sort of like bucket list of projects that they need done or, or whatnot. And, and really to just develop myself as a clinician and as a pharmacist to, to be able to craft my practice and say, this is the literature that I use to treat this type of situation or patient and, and just, and just really build that expertise. Um, even after PGY2, uh, don't want to give you guys any more fears. I still feel like I don't know very much. So um, <laughs> there's, there's, it's a lifelong learning process and being able to develop those skills to always be able to figure out the answer to me is way more important than being a vessel for memorization and regurgitation. I think um, as, as far as what the future looks like post PGY2 with 
respect to getting a job is difficult, right? There aren't very many, especially with this year with the pandemic, many hospitals went on a hiring freeze. It was incredibly competitive. I would say one thing that I really wasn't prepared for as far as figuring out what job I want is when a job would open and it wouldn't be, you know, the dream job. But it had certain elements in it that I really liked. Like, yes, it's an emergency medicine position. It's at this type of hospital in this location. It's not my favorite, but it would work. If you apply for that job and you get offered that job, you need to make that decision before you know what else is going to open up. You know, so you really need to stop and say, okay, like if my dream job opens up after this one, how is that going to feel? And is that something I want to wait out for? And and how, how will I navigate that situation? That is not a decision that I was prepared to make. Luckily, I held out for the position that I have now, and I'm really, really grateful that I was able to get it, but um, not everybody is quite so lucky. So that's just something to think about is, as you guys go through your careers, like what, how, how you will handle that and, and sort of what your non-negotiables are as far as, as a position goes. That's great. And then there's so much that go into it. And I feel so fresh with, with that. It's like, man, you know, you're sitting back, you have a job offer here. Should you take it? Should you hold out? What's uh, what's realistic? How long should you hold out? You know, um, what does a pharmacist get paid? <laughs> like, what do people actually get paid? Like now versus a while ago? And how is it professional to ask people that you know, hey, I've been knowing you for two years now. How much do you get paid? How much should I ask for? All those are questions that are like very interesting. Me not being professional, it was a little easier for me. It's like, oh, you know, I, want, I need to know. Uh, but but Brittany, what's, what's your thoughts? We've talked about this quite quite a bit over the last month. But what does the future looks like post PGY two for you? Um, I'm kind of in the same boat with Sarah as far as I know. Like mine's officially over, and I. I guess technically graduated on the the 25th, but I don't really think it's sunk in yet that I don't have things to do. Um, Cause now I'm like, like Sarah said, I'm really excited about doing projects that I'm really passionate about and things that I've been wanting to do, but couldn't do because I had like residency obligations. So I've already signed on to do like two case reports that I was super interested in that I couldn't do before. Um, and I think a lot of the other things Sarah said as well is just, um, really kind of owning my craft and like getting to dive and do those rabbit holes that I like to do without worrying that I'm going to miss a deadline on a project or miss like a presentation practice run through that I have to do um, when there's so much more cool things to dig into that I would rather be doing. So I think it's really going to help my, my ADD (laughs) to be done with residency. Um, But as far as the, uh, the job market, I would a hundred percent agree with, I think that was probably the, the hardest decision I came to was, you get a job offer and it's not the exact job that you wanted. Um, but there are things that you do like about it. And do you, do you take it? Do you hold out? Like, um, and I, I agree. It's, it's, you have to have that conversation with yourself. Uh, if I take this job, am I going to be okay with it? If my dream job comes up. Um, and I think a lot of that too comes into your financial security. And if you have a significant other that can help you, I think that was a big player in my decision to stay on with MUSC, um, was that I do, I am fortunate enough to have somebody with me that can, we can share the financial burden, but I think that that decision would have gone a lot differently if I was by myself. Um, and so I think it comes down to, if you do have a significant other or other, other players involved in your decision, communicating with them early, 
um, I was very open with my fiance about where I was applying. And if I, I would ask him heads up, like, I'm going to apply to this job in Boston. Would you be cool moving there? Because it's very far away. And um, if he said no, we did. I did not even apply there. So I think that's all like just communicate openly with if you have a significant other um, and help at least address some of those barriers and then use them to like discuss your your plans for, okay, I got offered this job. What do you think? Um, and my fiance was very helpful in uh, bouncing ideas off of him. And so were your preceptors and your mentors. So Jimmy, Shara and Kelsey and my previous RPD, Kyle, were all very helpful in just um, bouncing ideas off of and saying, hey, I've got this position that I'm thinking of accepting or this one's been offered, but I'm not sure if it's better. Um, and I think just they're all there for you. Use your resources for sure. Absolutely. So uh, a host of different things to you know look forward to. But I think something that everyone on the call is going to appreciate is that if you can go back in time and get your magic ball and take yourself back two, three years ago as a student and as a resident, you know, what's something you wish you would have known before starting? Because everyone's like either just starting or thinking about getting ready for that process. And it's challenging to, to think about all the things that you have to do. But what's like a, some quick advice that you would give yourself if you can go back in time? We can start with you, Sarah. I wish I could go back so many times. I would save myself. <laughs> months of of stress. Uh, The number one thing that I think would help me as far as stress and time management was to think about, and this is, this is actually kind of taboo to say, but I'm going to say it anyways. When it comes to applications in the interviews, it's all points system. So everybody has a rubric um, and apply for the points is what you want. Like you can write the greatest story on your cover letter, you can spend months perfecting it. You can take a writing workshop and it can be the coolest narrative there ever was, but every program needs has certain things in their rubric that they assign points to. And you need to play that game and get those points and get the point values that will get you the interview. So like things like research, your rotations, where did you go to school? What grades you have? Did you do any community service? Have you done any national presentations, platform presentations? Each program has different things that matter to them. And it's also very reflective of what type of resident they're looking for and what things they value based off of how they assign their point value on the rubric. I'm trying to to bully everybody on Twitter into just making them public so we can see them before we apply (laughs) where they put their you know, where they, where they put their stock and, and what, and kind of is research more important or do you need someone with the 4.0 or does that not matter to you? Would you rather have someone more well, well-rounded? That's what I wish that I knew. And now that I've been through the process on the other side, two different times, I see very clearly how great candidates can slip through the cracks just because they didn't have, didn't get the points, even though they're awesome candidates, awesome people, very smart individuals, this, you, you have to, you have to get the points. So if anybody wants to talk further with me about that in, in general, at any time, please just DM me on Twitter and we can do that. <laughs> I'd love to love to help in, in any way. Um, the other thing that I wish that I knew and something that I'm still learning and trying to perfect now is being able to protect your energy. Um, residency is a job um, and you are not a job. You, you're a person and a human and you have real emotions and needs and you putting those on the back burner constantly for a job to achieve perfection, to be able to know everything, to learn everything, to experience everything is exhausting. And it's 
you're going to run out eventually. And when that happens, it's, it's, it's a lot harder to recover versus protecting it in the first place. So don't be afraid to say no to something that you just don't have time for and that you just do not have room on your plate for there's, there's nothing wrong with setting professional boundaries and only pursuing things that are required or that which brings you energy to complete. If it's something that you're really passionate about, I've, uh, worked on that a lot this year and I'm in a much better place with being able to navigate those conversations. It's very awkward at first, but once you do it a couple of times, it feels good. And then you don't have to do that thing that you really didn't want to do. And then you're not stressed at 1130 PM on a Thursday night, every Thursday night or every night in general. So learning to protect your energy. You're not a vessel for memorization. You are not there to just fill staffing holes. So do not lose your identity in your work and do not be afraid to maintain your individuality and your hobbies and being firm with your bosses and your preceptors about where your boundaries lie within reason. That's phenomenal. And Brittany, we're going to finish out our, our question with you. So what's, if you can go back and tell young Brittany, you know, give you some a pep talk what would it, what would it be Katie's looking listen like ah oh, I got to listen to this <laughs> um I would so I'll start off with kind of echoing the last part of Sarah's <clears throat> is that you get PTO as a resident because it is a job so as a student like you don't take any time off because you're a student and you go to rotation my biggest thing with PGY1 is I actually forgot that I had PTO so I didn't take any um so don't do that don't be like me Look at how many PTO days you get. Talk to your preceptors up front at the beginning of the month. Say, I want to take PTO on this day and this day, because I think it's going to be really beneficial for my, like, you know, resilience and prevent burnout. Those two key words will serve you well. Um, but yes, use your PTO. Uh, you do, it is a marathon, not a sprint, uh, especially if you've been going since PGY1 already. You don't get a big break in between. You got to hit the ground running. The excitement helps. Uh, for the first couple of months. And then uh, September really hits you pretty hard. So take your PTF. Um, my other thing I would, I would say is that um, you do, you do have uh, this, this, I don't know, need as a, as a resident to take on the extra stuff to prove that you can do it. Like, oh yeah, I would love to do that project. Even if it's something you're super passionate about, if you've got three other projects you're already doing because they're required, sit, you have to, you have to say no. Because that project or whatever it is, that opportunity will come again another time. You can even dig into it on your own. But I think the biggest thing is setting expectations for yourself, knowing that, yes, it's something you're really interested in, um, but you just don't have the bandwidth. Um, that was something I definitely struggled with this year. There are so many cool things that came up that I wanted to do and taking on a lot that I probably shouldn't have. Um, and I should have been better at saying I just don't have the time for that right now. Um, I think one of our EM director or like EM attendings actually does a lecture on how to say no <laughs> politely and professionally. Um, I think her exact words to me were, um, the way you say it is just that, you know, I, that sounds like an amazing project. I, I would love to do it, but I really don't have the bandwidth to like give it the, the energy that it deserves. If you know someone off the top of your head that might be interested, say, I think I know someone, let me talk to them, see if they're interested. Um, but again, that gives you a professional like bow out to like not to not overwhelm yourself um, because you do need to pace yourself, um, especially especially Kaylee with your your drive there to dig into the primary literature. That takes a while, especially when you get down the rabbit holes. Um, and so pacing yourself is going to be super important. 
And um, so yeah, take your PTO, all of you that are coming in. Well, that that's perfect. And that's something, even once you get done, you know, you want to go and all you guys who know me, uh, I think most of my colleagues <laughs> that work with me realize that I, I, my ADHD has been a blessing and a curse. Like I really love emergency medicine. I really love emergency medicine pharmacy and I love teaching. And sometimes that means me working 30 days out of up the month. Some days that means me traveling five hours to get experience. Sometimes that means me, you know, mentoring too many people. But I think what I'm working on now to be a better preceptor and be a better person for everyone around me is learning how to say no. And these, you know, issues and concerns, they don't stop after you get done. They don't stop. So I think starting as a student, starting as a PGY1, learning how to professionally say no, uh, set yourself up for success will help you when you get down the road because um, you don't want to continue the life of a resident because again, residency is a job, not you. So I really appreciate that. And I, before we open the, open up to the audience for questions that they have for the remainder of the call, do any of you guys have any comments for our outgoing PGY2s or anything that any other questions you want to ask them before we open it up to the audience? Going once, going twice. All right. So we, we have quite a bit of people in, in the audience. And um, what I would like for you guys to do is to put any questions that you have in the chat. Um, I would love to engage with you guys to learn a little bit more about the questions that you guys have. And that way we have a host of people that's been practicing, whether it's be retail or it's versus been ED, uh, whether it's admin or general, we have people that can speak to some of the things that you you have questions about. So uh, please ask any questions that you have in the chat and we can definitely answer them for the last like 10 minutes of this this call. Or if you're feeling really confident, go ahead and un- unmute yourself and ask away. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never want to see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Fall so hard, let's get paid. Perfect. So the first question was, how do you stay up to date with the latest guideline changes without flooding your inbox? Um, again, uh, Sarah, you want to go ahead and take this one first? Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. <laughs> Nobody's going to be talking about it. You know, they literally do all the work for you. Just follow certain hashtags, follow certain people who, uh, who are, who really love that stuff. I follow, I don't follow just EM people, but what I do is I have, um, the lists function. So I make, I make different lists of like EM cardiology, crit care, that kind of stuff. And then I follow and add people to that list that that tweet about those kind of things because I know that if I have some time and I'm just scrolling on Twitter, somebody's going to be posting about it. Everybody wants to be the first one to get that tweet out. And it's going to be a popular tweet and they'll like have discussions about it. They do all the work for you. I have enough email and the last thing that I want is journals emailing me and with their, with their new articles. I'm already have email burnout and I don't want any more of that. So Twitter is exactly how I do it. Any of you guys have any other ways that you guys stay up to date? I think when you're a part of certain professional organizations, they will email you and let you know um, if something's coming out. I know ASHP is 
very, very active with that. I probably get 16 emails a day from them. But joining those professional organizations, you can also control um, what they send you and your types of notifications. They'll definitely let you know um, that way. If you don't join those professional organizations, you can always also like go to their website, like make it a point once a quarter or once a month to go to their website. And they'll typically have like updates or a news flash, something like that, that'll allow you to keep up with things that are changing. Absolutely. Yeah, I use Twitter as well. So it like it's just so easy. Um, so yeah, it, it just it saves you a step, especially in the ED, like when things are happening super fast and like, you know, your attending runs up to you is like, Hey, did you see this new article? And you usually know, but that that's another thing too. Like your ED attendings, your docs, your residents, like medical residents will also like fill you in or say, like, Hey, I was reading this new study that came out, and you're like, Oh, yeah. And then you quickly find it and read it on like whatever break you have. So yeah, so that's that's pretty much how I do it as well. I think for me, I'm fortunate because I operate a pharmacy education platform. Uh, so I have to stay up to date with all those things. But how I, how I do mine usually is I try to cycle through certain topics. You know, I use topic discussions. I use different avenues from my standpoint that say I want to find you to find one article that's newer so we can talk about that. And then doing deep dives with your resident is how I keep myself up to date. Uh, making the pharmacy pearls, I have to know quite a bit of those. So for me, I use my hobby to educate other people to educate myself because it's like love. You can't, you can't pass it on to someone else without you getting a piece of it. So um, that's just different ways to, to stay up to date from my standpoint. And we have a ton of different questions. So I'm happy to go with that. So how did you guys uh, handle your CV when transitioning from PGI one to PGI two and then getting prep in preparation for a job? Another shameless plug about the rubrics. Now that you're a part of a PGY1 program and you're looking for a PGY2, ask your program director to look at their rubric, your rubric, that you're going to be using for the PGY1s incoming um, and do that before you submit your PGY2 ones. So that way, this will be like your first chance to get a behind the scenes look of how those points are allocated because majority of points come from the CV, not the, not the cover letter. So making sure that you have all those things on there that are important and that you're phrasing them and... Um, organizing them in a way that draw the attention so you can get the points. Um, that, that's, that's how I would, um, that's exact. I, I formatted my CV exactly for the points and not for flair and it worked for me. So. Haley, you had any, any advice as you recently transitioned? Yeah. Um, I think it also really helped me to ask people who at the program I was at, I had some, the people that had matched there for PGY2s, you know, like, can you send me your CV or um, so I can kind of see how they formatted some of the like, how do you put your MUE in there, you know, and things like that to make it flow better. Um, and then keep asking people to review it, you know, send it to random people, maybe on Twitter or your PGY one director, other people. Um, a lot of people do have different views, but getting a lot of eyes on it um, is always a good thing. I think something else um, that one of the clinical managers told me um, on September of last year, every year you move up, you're supposed to knock, knock things off of your CV. Um, so as a PGY1, I started taking off my IPPEs this year. I'm pretty sure my PGY1 and PGY2 will kind of take off my APPEs. And then you want to look and see like some of those recognitions that you made deans list your freshman year may not be as important as the clinical conference that you presented at and things like that. So I think kind of to echo what everyone else was saying, getting people to look over it, those people that are in those positions that are either on the hiring team, the management team, the RPDs for the programs um, that are similar to the ones that you're 
you're interested in, kind of looking to see like what's professional and what's not. And um, as Sarah was saying, like looking for those points, because you want to keep it updated as much as possible. Don't be like me and get six months into residency and have to go back and figure out, oh, I did this presentation and this presentation, because you will do your fair share of presentations, research, topic discussions. Um, I know at MUSC, we had teaching opportunities. So we did lectures. So try to, you know, put dates on your calendar, like every month or every few months to go and update it as you go, because you'll go through so many things, you'll get to the end of the year, and you'll have to go back and tally it. Whereas if you're updating it as you go, it's a little easier when people are looking over it for you to tell you what's, you know, worth adding and what's not. Absolutely. And then I think from my standpoint, when I transitioned to look for a job, it was completely different, because I don't think they cared about it, it was more about who you know. So as many people that was on your rotation, so, so for the ED, we have three preceptors. List all of them because I can't tell you how many people I was on around match day. The, the phones were just ringing. Like I sent more text messages about students that I knew that I was at the same institution with. At, and for me, from what I've seen, that mattered a little bit more than some of the other things. I always say a text message is worth three letters recommendations. Um, it is phenomenal. I, I, I've been at Grady. I've been in Florida hospital every year that I've been in practice. Now, someone who I knew and recommended via text message has been at those institutions. So I think being able to leverage your, your resources and your communication. So for me, when I interviewed at places like, oh yeah, you know, such and such. And oh yeah, you're that guy that has that podcast. Don't feel bad about putting it on your CV. It was a very good conversation starter when I interviewed different places. Every place I've been has always mentioned uh, the podcast, List Pharmacy Pearls, and that's not a professional activity, so to say. It's not something I did, you know, for residency. So if you do something that's very interesting and unique, don't feel bad about putting that somewhere and highlighting uh, some of the things that you've done. And from an ED perspective, as you guys are coming out, putting some of the administrative tasks that you've done is going to be key as well. If you've worked on a protocol, if you've helped get FT generation, put that in some of the activities that you worked on because that's important now. No, unfortunately, people don't care as much about your, your cool, you know, epi or your TPA and cardiac arrest as they do about you saving a hundred, a hundred thousand dollars. So I think being able to put those activities that make the C-suite people with nice suits happy, put those things on there quite early on your CVA. All right. Uh, I guess I have one more question, unless you guys have more here. Um, what what other advice do you have regarding transitioning between a P4 student to PGY1 resident and also and preparing for PGY2 uh, search application? Because this is unique and I, I appreciate this question because you guys are going into PGY1, you got like three months to figure out what you can do for the rest of your life. It is a, it is a very challenging situation to be in. And I want to hear what you guys have to say, but also want to hear about the activities that other people did to get themselves better in a good position when transitioning from your P4 year to your PGY1. So Ryan, again, this is a definitely unique question for you. I would love to hear your, your thoughts on this. Um, I think as far as uh, I took the, the, the scenic route, I guess, but <laughs> um I think the biggest thing that you have to realize is, uh, like I was saying before, take it a day at a time. There's going to be a lot of stuff coming at you um, from left and right. Like I said, especially if you're moving states, uh, you got to figure out moving arrangements. You have to figure out when you're moving. You have to figure out how to end your rent now so that you're not paying two rents for for three months. Uh, Take 
every single step, uh, take the little, do the little things right. Get all of that under control. Like I said, for your boards, um, make sure that you get all of that stuff done. I have had countless friends and classmates who was trying to wait to the last minute to do all of that stuff and ended up pretty much being screwed. So uh, make sure you have a, a list of what you need to do. Literally write out everything that you have to get done before whatever date that you have to get them done. Set a deadline for yourself or whatever deadline at the residency or any other place has for you. Um, definitely making sure that you have a, a, a written out list of everything that you have to get done. Uh, because, you know, when you think about everything at once, um, as I was trying to do when I first started applying to uh, my residency, I really had to force myself, okay, what do we have to do right now today? What is due right now? What is what is the hardest thing that you have to get done at this point? Um, and when you break everything up like that, uh, you won't be so overwhelmed as far as when you graduate, you have the high of graduating and then, oh crap, I, now I got to study for boards. So just taking it one thing at a time. What about you, Nick? Yeah, I think those are all really great things um, to, to, you know, make sure that you have outlined early and complete uh, as early as you possibly can. Um, just more about transitioning from student to resident. Uh, I just started the fourth week of residency. Um, I can't believe it's already been three weeks. We're just in our orientation, like training, staffing block right now. You know, how do you manage the queue? And for everyone with Epic, like, what do you do with your events? Like, all that kind of stuff. Um, and even in the past couple of weeks, the feedback that I've gotten is, um, you know, you you have to be really good at multitasking, especially on those kind of evening shifts when you're covering hundreds of patients and you're not like on a team when you have 10 or 20 patients. Um, as a student, you don't necessarily have like patient care responsibilities as much as just like you're there to learn and, you know, your preceptor will give you assignments and you'll do them maybe work up some patients. But as a resident, you also like are barely uh, just finishing being a student where you still have a lot to learn, but you also have to be doing, you know, the verification queue and answering questions from nursing and all that stuff. And so getting uh, good feedback early, I think is, um, has helped me even just in the last week, I think I've gotten better at doing that stuff. Um, and kind of, my thing is asking for feedback prospectively, uh, timely feedback is good feedback. You know, you can't do anything if it's not timely, um, at least nothing worthwhile. Uh, and then kind of what you were saying about the, we have three months almost to figure out what we want to do with the rest of our lives. Um, I have gotten to talk to my program director and program coordinator really early on. They had sit down meetings with us to go through uh, a bunch of stuff with us. And I made sure that I was really open and clear with them. Like, this is what my general goals are for my career, for the next year, for everything. This is kind of where I'm sitting. And they're helping me, you know, build out my residency schedule so that I can maximize my chance of hitting that. Oh, I know what I want to do now uh, as early as I can instead of, um, you know, just they're there to really help you. And if you're not working with them, you know, you're kind of missing out on making it your experience you know they're not there to dictate you have to do this i mean sometimes with projects but for the most part they're there to help you have the best experience possible 
Perfect. Jumani, you had anything to add to this question? Yeah, I think the biggest thing um, going in is to also remember like your co-residents are going through the same things. So talking to them and leaning on them as well. I know a lot of times we would be in the office for like an hour just complaining about everything we didn't know and drowning. And it didn't always like lend to great solutions, but it felt good to know that you weren't the only ones. If you don't have co-residents, talking to other residents at other programs and kind of maybe trading tips and figuring out like how they're managing. Um, Brittany made a really good point about taking your PTO. Please, please, please prioritize your mental health. Residency, residency doesn't revolve around your life. Your life kind of revolves around residency. So taking those moments to say, whoa, I am drowning. I really don't know what I'm doing and I just need a mental break and communicating that with your RPDs or your preceptors as well, because there will likely never be a time in your PGY1 unless you're at the end that you only have one thing to do. It's typically so many things going on, so many things you're trying to accomplish and do. And then life doesn't stop either. So you'll still have family things going on and things with your friends and, you know, missing home if you're moving. So prioritizing your mental health and figuring out where that where that goes, you know, where can you where can you afford to take a day or take a few hours to say, hey, I'm not going to focus on anything. Because if you keep trying to run on empty, the quality of your work isn't going to be what it should be anyway. So taking those four or five hours to step back can actually save you more time on the back end because you've given yourself a moment to kind of configure, align yourself, you know, have fun, allow your brain to have a break and then come back to it. So definitely remember those things because there will be times in residency you just want to throw your laptop and walk out the door. (laughs) And you can't. So you want to kind of think about those things earlier on or figure out like, hey, I'm off every third weekend. I'm going to make sure that I do as much work as I can. And then every third weekend, I'm going to do something for myself. Um, You know, ask one of your co-residents to walk their dog or, you know, go walk in the mall or I don't know. I used to like drive by the Lamborghini and Porsche lot here at MUSC (laughs) to just motivate myself. to get through residency, you know? I mean, things like that, you'll probably never even realize, like those are some things you've always wanted that'll kind of like give you that extra boost or motivation um, to kind of help you get through those difficult times. So definitely lean on each other and prioritize your mental health. Cause if you don't guys, like you will definitely regret it on the back end. Absolutely. Any of you guys have any, any other things to, to comment on before I do our final uh, comments for the, the entire session? I, think- I would just, oh, go ahead, Kaylee. I was just going to say, I think one thing that really um, helped me, and if you guys do this and remember earlier on, especially for like the application time um, for PGY2, um, a mantra that a mentor told me was that in residency, there's boxes and bows. Um, So not everything for type A pharmacists who want everything to be like nice and packaged with a pretty bow and wrapping. Um, Not everything needs to be that way. Sometimes you just have to box up something in a project in a cardboard box, maybe staple it, find some extra tape to slap on there and check it off and let it be done. Um, And I think that doing that can kind of help with the mental health um, that what everyone was talking about earlier. So pick and choose when things need to be done perfectly and when they just need to be done sometimes. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely something I've been told as well. Um, Still struggle with that. I'm definitely for an ED person. I have weird things that I'm a perfectionist about, PowerPoint slides being one of them. Um, And Jimmy knows how I feel about these. But um, definitely something I will try to take into account going forward is that not everything has to be perfect. Um, granted that's a few areas in my life, not all of them, but, um, definitely really good advice. The other thing I will say is that, uh, like Ryan was saying about getting licensed and getting all that tied up beforehand, 
Yes, your residency gives you, depending on the program, it may say in your residency manual to go through like um, September or something like that. I know my, my PGY1 manual said something like really late, like November or something. But no, you want to you want to get licensed and get all of that squared away so that when you walk in the door on your first day that you're licensed, because the first month you're there is going to be your operations and training, staffing, all of the ins and outs of actually how to be an operational pharmacist. And that's going to be much more difficult if you're not already licensed in the state that you're in um, or the state that you're going to. So as soon as you match, um, which phase one is like in March, phase two is in April. That gives you plenty of time to figure out your like what you need to do in order to get licensed by July 1st. Some states like South Carolina and Ryan was saying Florida was slow, but I'm sure I'm surprised Jimmy didn't laugh out loud about South Carolina's process um, because they they meet once a month. And if you miss it, you have to wait until the next month. So it's it's a completely like there are some weird things for individual states that it's very helpful for you to know. Like I would say as soon as you match, you know celebrate, you know, get it out of your system that Monday following, get your ducks in a row, know what you need to do, know the caveats of the state that you're applying to and get that stuff squared away ASAP. Because you're going to, if you wait, the most frustrating thing for you when you come to train is that you're really not going to be able to do anything while you're training. And most of us are, I think, are learn a lot better when we're able to do things as we're taught them instead of trying to remember it later. Oh, and real quick, uh, Brittany, that actually happened to me. I'm also licensed in South Carolina. <laughs> I missed the day that they were meeting by like one day, literally. They're like, yeah. Oh yeah. You got to wait till, uh, you got to wait till September. I'm just like, gosh, geez. Yeah. So yeah. And I was moving from Virginia uh, to South Carolina at that time. Well, to, uh, to Georgia, you know, I stay in Augusta was on the border, but yeah, I was, I, I remember that. And I was just like, but I already passed my MBJ and I was like, okay, it's fine. It's just another month that you can just chill out and just, all right. <laughs> but yeah. I missed mine exactly. by three hours. Three hours. Three hours. I got my score back, and then and then like they sent it out. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like it's, it's the same day. Like you just sent the email out. Just add me to the list, and then they all they did was tell me basic stuff that was on the MPJE. When I tell you, I I'm sorry if anyone from the border pharmacy from South Carolina is listening. I, I I appreciate all the work you do and all the aspects of your your job. But one thing, get rid of that or make it a freaking telephone call. That is trash. Okay. Rant over. Um, <laughs> for our, our closing remarks, guys. Um, uh, Nick, go ahead and, and give your closing remarks for this entire residency uh, panel and uh, let them know how to get in contact with you on Twitter. That's the big thing. So go ahead, everyone, drop your Twitter handles, drop all of your information to people get in contact with you in the group chat. And we can go from there. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Jimmy, for having me on. Um, I'm really excited for this year. Uh, any, anyone, I'm always available. I'm always online. I don't sleep. <laughs> um, uh, my Twitter handle is probably going to change because it's still at Con Farm Intern and I am no longer a farm intern. <laughs> so I'll drop that. But just just search me by my name. It's, it's OK. Nicholas DeFilippo. Ryan, you have anything to say for your closing remarks? Uh, yeah, yes, yes. Um, enjoy, enjoy everything. Enjoy the process. Um, I don't have, t- well, I do have Twitter, but I haven't been on it in like 10 years, uh, but I do have, I, <laughs> I do have Instagram. You can definitely just follow me. I put it in the, um, in the chat, Dr. Watts. Um, don't judge me. Uh, just inbox me. I'm always on there. Um, I'll definitely answer your questions. I'm actually already getting questions even now that everybody from back 
at Hampton has found out that I've uh, matched. So I've been I've been answering questions, uh, and I'll 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 get to you definitely. Uh, Kaylee, yeah, I think um, there's been a lot of good advice on here. So just kind of take it one step at a time this year. It'll be a great year. Um, don't hesitate to reach out and to me or really to anybody else if you have questions about like the PGY two process as a PGY one um, or need anything else. Tremani. So I do not, I'm going to tell y'all the truth. I have a Twitter, but I have not used it since I was an undergrad in college. So don't look for that one. Um, I did put my Instagram name in there though. Feel free to DM me. I get a lot of DMs on Instagram. Um, You can find me on LinkedIn at my actual name. I answer questions all the time. I'm like, Nick, I rarely ever sleep. That's not a good thing. Do not be like me at all. But if you guys have any questions or comments or just thoughts, um, feel free to DM me or message me and good luck to everyone as well. Perfect. Brittany. Thanks, Jimmy. Um, I would say, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of great advice. It, you're not going through it alone, uh, whether you're a PGY1, PGY2, or a pharmacy student, just going through the rigors of pharmacy school itself and getting amped up about, you know, finishing school and coming out into residency. Uh, the biggest thing I would say is just question everything. Guidelines are guidelines. They're not directives. Um, so think about your patients and think about the best thing for them. And then talk it through logically and try to really apply the evidence to each patient because each patient's going to be different. No one's going to fit the guidelines exactly. Sarah, close us out. I feel like everybody's done a great job of um, giving, giving advice. But one odd piece of advice that I'll give you guys is to get a nice calendar with a month view. Nice. I ordered this from Agendio. It was pretty pricey. It was like $50, but... I write every appointment that I have, every topic discussion, every presentation, every due date. I can see it all at once, What you can, which you cannot do online on your phone. Um, also in the back, there are 50 pages of college-ruled thick paper that I use to write down my project wish list of things that I want to accomplish in my career. If I think of a research idea, if I think of a topic discussion or something that I didn't know what to do during a code or something, I'll just write it down in there and follow it up later. It also has a folder in the back to keep it very organized. And then when you go back and need to figure out what you need to put on your CV, you can just flip back from all the months and you have all the dates of everything that you've done. You also can look back and just be proud of yourself for like all that crazy stuff I did in four weeks, every, like over and over again. Um, and I also, for extra morale, put little pug stickers on days that I feel like I did a really good job. Um, I have two this month. So um, just, you know, a little bit of advice organizationally and also for your future to just keep all that stuff in a row like you guys have been talking about <laughs> that we've been harping on is, is organization and time management and just get it all in the same place. And this is what works for me. So Perfect. I will show you guys my, my little advice. I, I ask everyone to get a productivity manager. So I'm going to share my screen very briefly. People always ask me, how the heck do I get anything done? So if you look here, this is ClickUp. This is a productivity manager that I have. And it's one of the coolest things I've ever found because I have really bad ADHD. So if you go here, you have like, oh, I want to build something. And it says, okay, what does it need to build that particular thing? You can say, okay, do this and do this. And you can say what you're doing and where it's located. You can uh, put the time that you spent on that particular task. You can assign that task to yourself or other people. Um, this is one of the things that I've been utilizing that's really got me some really good productivity. Um, this is one of my, my latest uh, tasks I'm working on right now called the PACU. So you guys will see that pretty soon. Uh, but this is the, the best thing I've ever done. 
it really keeps me on track of everything that I'm doing. So that's one thing. It's called ClickUp. There's many different versions of this. Asana. So a few different things you can do to a, a project manager and a productivity manager. Definitely go out and get you one. It's free. There's some upgraded stuff for like seven bucks a month or something crazy. But for the most part, it's free. Um, yeah. So as stuff comes up, you guys reach out to me. Let me know what you want. My goal in my career is making the lives of pharmacists easier through information and technology. So if you guys notice there's a lacking of something out there, if you notice there's not a conference for emergency medicine pharmacists, let me know. And I make that if you notice that there you want a resource bank so you don't have to try to find every article your preceptor wants you to find. Don't worry, I'll find that. So reach out to me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Pharmacy Friday Pearls, uh, Pharmacy Heart Podcast. And this is going to be turned into a YouTube video and a podcast so you guys can go back and reference later on. But I want to thank everyone, all of our panel for coming on. This was a phenomenal you know, experience and I really enjoyed it. I hope the audience did as well. And if there's nothing else to say, I'll end it like I end everything I always do. Um, you don't have to be a pharmacist. You don't have to work in the ED, but everything you do, make sure you farm so hard. Mm-hmm.